0: Claire Parker.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And, and this, this is Celebrity, Celebrity Memoir Book Club. Club. We are recording face to face for the first time in truly weeks. And Claire, what is it that we're
0: recording? Brutal honesty. Face to face, much like the Maria Abramovich Who? art exhibit, when you're eye to eye, you must be your most honest self. And what you're about to get from here on out is honesty. And I just want to say if you don't like honesty, if you like a little bit of delusion with your coffee in the morning, I advise you move on because we're not going to be so sweet.
1: No, I don't even put sugar in my coffee because I'm a New Yorker bitch. I put a little bit of milk because I am soft. (laughs) (laughs) But this is not a milk podcast. Well... I'm a milk girl, but this is not a milk (laughs) podcast. This is the tough stuff, the strong juice the wake you up in the morning, smack you on your bottom. This is
0: the celery juice detox of the new year that's going to make you a better person that you forget to continue in four days.
1: We read celebrity memoirs. We come at them with every ounce of truth in our bones, mine rickety, Claire's strong. And if you like it, welcome aboard. And if you want to give us a five-star review on iTunes, I'll be reading those names at the end of the episode to give you a hearty thanks. And now, Claire, Mm -hmm. if you were to describe this last week in a memoir, what would the title of that chapter be called?
0: I'm getting bigger. I did something literally insane this week. Height-wise? I wish. That's my dad's dream (laughs) is that one day I'd be as tall as Ashley. No, I did something that made me the bigger person. Oh my God. Tell me about it. Last week, I had a friend really, really hurt my feelings. And instead of confronting her about it or like stewing on it, I recognize that I think she's in a tough spot right now. And I came to her aid before being like, well, this is why I'm upset. And I was like, you know what? I can shelf my feelings, help her get her shit together. And then when she's back and better than ever at fighting weight, she can fight me like a fucking man. And the other thing that I think is making me a bigger person is I'm recognizing that I might not ever even bring it up to her. Interesting. Because I have taken time to reflect in this period of not confronting. I can't even say that right. Not confronting. Sure. And I have recognized that this is a decades-long pattern, and this is the same fight I've had with her five or six times. You're so confrontational, you couldn't pronounce non-confronting. <laughs> I've never said it before. I've never even thought about it. (laughs) Anyway, but I'm just like, you know what, Claire? She's not going to stop doing this thing. You just have to recognize that you have different values and priorities and change your expectations. It's one of those things of like, this is the personality, so accept it or don't, but you
1: can't make her a different person. Well, it's just
0: clear that if she keeps behaving the way that she thinks makes sense and it keeps hurting me and I keep trying to explain it to her, we just have a difference of opinion of what makes sense in this situation. And I have to just stop putting her in that situation. Stop expecting and setting her up to hurt me and then being mad. She's not going to change, so I have to change. Yeah, that's why I broke up with Matt.
1: I'm excited for you. I think this is a new step in a good direction. Thank you. And maybe even a long step now that you're bigger.
0: (laughs) Um, Covering more area with every single stride. And Ashley, if you were to have a memoir this week, what would you name your memoir? Okay, so my memoir
1: chapter is similar to your memoir chapter in some ways. I would call mine Shut Up, It's None of Your Business. Okay. I feel like... I have some friends who are in relationships I don't approve of. What? And I've talked about it extensively to you, to the Patreon, to every single person I've come in casual contact with in the last year. And I think that it's become too much of a conversational crutch for me. And I need to stop. At this point, it just is what it is. And I need to shut the fuck
0: up. Last year, I think my New Year's resolution was not to talk less shit, but to talk fewer shit. (laughs) I was just like, look, you can keep being a hater in your hater nation, but you have to have fewer citizens.
1: (laughs) I just feel like this has become a topic of conversation for me in such a casual way to be like, oh my God, yeah, I actually like hate my friend's boyfriend. Let's talk about all the things he's done wrong ever to random people because I feel like everyone can kind of bond over this topic of not approving of someone else's relationship. And then I like got almost high on the switch of opinion when I would start talking shit and they'd be like this hater ass bitch and then I would see them kind of come around and be like no he does seem like a bad person and I'd be like yes I'm winning over every single person except for my friend who's gonna marry this guy (laughs) anyway
0: should we get into this week's book
1: I guess so I'm not sure what there is to get into I feel like sometimes there's an ocean that we like get to run and leap into and this week there's just a fucking kiddie pool where I'm like I don't even know if there's room for both of us to get into this week's book but we'll try (laughs)
0: This week's book is Seriously I'm Kidding by disgraced former talk show host Ellen DeGeneres. Can I say I think she's still currently a talk show host? They said that show was going off the air, but they're like, she's fired in seven years. I do think that the people that she was canceled to are a completely different sect of people than the people who watch her. Completely. I do not think that anyone who regularly watches Ellen DeGeneres has ever been on Twitter. (laughs) I don't think they know a goddamn thing about Dakota Johnson. (laughs) They have literally never heard Heard of her they see Dakota Johnson and they're just like is that a bangs model or they uh, don't even know about her limes house they don't know about the Lime saga there's two lime sagas in Hollywood right now there's Yolanda
1: Hadid and there's Dakota Johnson's kitchen and they both
0: live in a lime lie <laughs> lime lies in the limelight baby
1: <laughs> realize lime lies <laughs>
0: To get to this book because I do think we need to talk about it. Just in theory, there have been some memoirs on those podcasts that we've been like, were they memoirs? Really? Jennifer Lopez was on a memoir. A lot of them we've decided not to read. Like a Kristen Cavallari is mostly how to make checks mix, and it's like take checks and mix them up. <laughs> and we were like, I don't think we could do anything with this. We did start this book, and I would say it was too late to be like, we can't talk about it.
1: We also have been talking about talking about Ellen for a long time now, and I feel we owed it to discuss Ellen. But there is, first of all, not a lot going on here. I did accidentally get the third book. Apparently, she has three books. And I was like, okay, maybe this is the one where she talks about nothing. And we should go get the first book where she talks about something. But she talks about nothing in all three books. She has three full published books about no things. It is actually astonishing.
0: I said that this is not a book. Not only is it not a memoir, but it's barely a book. I would call it more like licensed merchandising gag gifts. It wasn't really meant to be read. It was meant to be put by a toilet.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a printed out collection of tweets. I don't know. It is like when they took Twitter accounts and started making them into books and TV shows. Like, this is shit my dad says. This is... Yes, this is like those gag gift books
0: at Urban Outfitters, but for like middle-aged people. Yeah, like 15 tweets about horniness. Yes. Like, love is... It's also one of the only books we've read, I think, that head-on assumes you're listening to it in an audiobook, but yet also... Has visual gags. It's interesting. It's an interesting collection. I said, reading this book, if every time at Thanksgiving, my uncle said one of my dumb jokes was so good, I could put that in my act. (laughs) And then I just said, sure, that's a chapter now.
1: Every offhand comment. Like when you make a weird comment and someone will go, is that one of your jokes? And you go,
0: well, no. We are also in hot debate about whether or not Ellen DeGeneres did in fact write this herself, No Ghostwriter, or if Ellen DeGeneres has no idea it's ever existed, because the one thing we know for sure is there was no way two brains came together to come up with this book because the discussion of any of these chapters would have led to longer chapters. Like when I say that this book is bare bones outline I can't even imagine if she were to voice note her assistant and say, hey, I want to do a chapter about magic. It should go something like this. That was it verbatim. There is no fleshing out of a single idea in this book. It is all just a single joke pushed to the limits.
1: So that's not even true. It's not even always a single joke pushed to the limits. Sometimes it's the starting of a concept that then she just rambles on for 15 paragraphs.
0: This is like a sassy greeting card. But there are those random sections where she'll
1: be like, so I went to the doctor the other day. What's up with doctors? You know what I was thinking about when I think about doctors in the parking lot? when you're in a parking lot and you're driving your car and then you turn left and you think, left, can you go left here? No, never mind. I'll you turn around and go back right. That'll save them. She just like rambles and then the chapter ends and then you're like the starting point and the ending point of this chapter. I get what Claire means when she says, I tell stories weird because we'll do some examples. Let's get into the book because I do want to show some of the unrelated point A to point B moments of chapters. She also starts out with acknowledgements, which I find strange. And then makes a joke of it. She truly,
0: we'll get to this later, has no one in her life. Okay. (laughs) I want to start with the first chapter writing this book because she says one of the most preposterous things I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) I know we try to keep it to the book, and this is so hypocritical considering what I just said about Emily Ratajkowski last week, but I needed to add meat because this is a skinny little pig. The year of the pandemic, Ellen DeGeneres made $86 million, and that doesn't even count investments properties, the the behind-the-scenes money, how rich people make money into more money. That's just contract money for 2020. So I need you guys to know that she is disgustingly rich. Writing this book. Over the last year, I decided to write this book. People have been asking about how I have the time and why I chose to write it. The truth is, last June, I was driving through a tunnel when I was on the phone with my agent and my cell service was spotty. I said, I just got a great IKEA table for my breakfast nook. My agent thought I said, I've got a great idea for my newest book. By the time we figured out our hilarious misunderstanding, I had signed a whole bunch of papers. Who has the time to read all those words? And I was under contract to write a book. Similarly, a few years ago, I told my agent, I think I got some fudge on my lapel. And he thought I said, I want to be a judge on American Idol. Since then, I got a new phone. And I found out my agent's name is Marvin, not Blarvin. I can't. She's never, who told her about Ikea? (laughs) That's where I was like, no, you did not get an Ikea breakfast nook table, you liar. Can
1: I tell you, in LA, you do a lot of driving and there is an Ikea visible from the freeway in Burbank. The chance that she's driven past and seen the Ikea sign every single day to and from her studio and then at a certain point been like, can someone tell me what that is?
0: (laughs) Who goes there and why? I love it there.
1: I used to go there at lunch. Um, anyway.
0: That's weird, dude. <laughs> I fucking
1: love Ikea. Okay. She then says, I'm glad I decided to write this book. I love writing and I do feel like I've learned a lot about life and the other L words since I wrote my last book. And there are things I want to share with the world. Do you think that there's anything about life or love in this book?
0: No. Okay. She barely mentions Portia. Because when we were worried about the fact that we got the third book and not the first book, I was reading the synopsis online. And in the synopsis, she goes, so much has happened since my last book. I got married to Portia. And I was like, oh, we read Portia's book. This is actually pretty interesting to me. I wonder what she has to say about Portia. Nothing. Do you want me to sum up real quick what she says about Portia? Portia eats. (laughs) No, she never says that. She says Portia cooks. She doesn't say Portia eats. If you read Portia's book, fear not. She stands near food now. You know what else she says about Portia? That Portia hoards lotion. Oh, yeah. What do you think hoards means?
1: A lot. A lotion? Or do you think it means like. Four lotions.
0: I do think that they own multiple homes and that their homes are like massive estates. And I'm sure she has a couple lotions in each bathroom. Okay. Like I have a couple lotions and I'm barely well to do. Yeah, I also have a few lotions. So I'm sure if you have a couple lotions per bathroom, and I'm sure if you're traveling a lot, you're collecting lotion.
1: And I'm willing to bet you people send her a lot of lotions.
0: And she's in hotel rooms constantly. And I bet she does that thing where she takes the lotions. Yeah. I do think Can that. Imagine
1: Portia collecting those little to go <laughs> bottles of lotion and being like, oh, this is great
0: for the next time I travel. And then you never bring them because then you're going to a hotel with more tiny lotion. Are they flying private or they're like in first class where you get a free lotion? You get lotion in first class? They give you like little bags of toiletries. A bag of lotion,
1: <laughs> a Ziploc baggie of lotion. They just do a couple pumps into each bag manual at the front of the plane. The pilot should be flying. <laughs> Not bagging lotion.
0: They cut a hole in the corner and they serve it to you royal icing style. (laughs) Okay, and that concludes our lotion bit.
1: So anyway, that's the introduction to this book. It's that she didn't know she was writing a book, but then she realizes
0: she has a lot to say about life and love. So it's a good idea to write a book. And then what happens is nothing. What makes me nervous when she's like, there's a couple of stories I want to tell one day, but I'll save those for my memoir. And I'm like, what the fuck is this then? I do wonder what this would be categorized as. I guess it was categorized on Amazon under memoir. Yeah. I
1: mean, it's an Ellen DeGeneres book by Ellen DeGeneres, supposedly. I was like, what else are people writing? Well, it's not fiction. It's nonfiction by Ellen DeGeneres about Ellen DeGeneres. I like assumed it was going to be a book about herself. And it is all about herself. I think this I think that it's just not about
0: her life. So the way we're gonna go through this book because it is just chapter after chapter of Garbledygook,
1: <laughs> We can't cover every chapter because some of them quite literally have no words. There are a couple of coloring book pages. And there's literally blank pages.
0: (laughs) There's a meditation chapter where you just... You're supposed to flip through and just kind of think. (laughs) And then there's actually even another chapter where she goes, did you ever wonder what would happen if I stopped talking? And then there's just no words on that page. And she goes, see, nothing happens.
1: If I stop talking, everyone gets bored. And I'm like, actually, it's when you are talking that I had a really hard time finishing this book. I loved staring into the blank page.
0: So we're going to go through a couple of chapters up top that we feel get as close as possible to like a memoir. And then we'll go back through and just kind of hit our favorite nonsense chapters. That sounds
1: like a treat. So journal entries. This is a little excerpt of her fake journal about how successful she is. So she's
0: writing to her journal every time something wonderful happens. But the joke of it is, and I don't know if we're supposed to be in on it or not, she's Writing it mad that she never got to do Finding Dory. Which at this point, we know she did get to do Finding Dory. I'll read the first entry. Dear
1: Journal, remember the movie called Finding Nemo that I told you I worked on years and years ago? Well, it came out today, and guess what? It set the record for best opening day of an animated movie. I'm so proud to have been part of it. I wouldn't be surprised if Pixar called me today to say they wanted to make a sequel. This is great. This is really, really great. What a wonderful, wonderful,
0: perfect situation this is, Journal. So then a few weeks later, she gets to the journal and she goes, Finding Nemo is now the highest grossing animated movie of all time. Can you believe it? Hang on, my phone's ringing. It's probably Pixar telling me they want to make a sequel. Bye, journal. Talk to you again when I'm rich.
1: And then there's another entry about... Half Finding Nemo is still going really well, but they're not doing another one. But then she gets to host the Oscars, and then she gets to host her own TV show. And then she gets married. And then she has like a fun
0: birthday party or something. She starts guest judging on American Idol. She was on Broadway. And then a weird thing that she keeps shoehorning into this book that I almost don't think is real, she keeps talking about a record label she opened.
1: She has mentioned this record label a few times and I don't understand why she would have a record label. But anyway, she also mentions that Oprah is going off air. So now her daytime show is going to be the top daytime show. And then she says, I'm about to turn in my new book into the publisher. Writing a book is hard. I thought it was mostly going to be journal entries like this, but it turns out they need more to fill a book. I mean, she literally left pages blank, but it's fine. (sighs) I wish it could be all journal entries. Anyway, I'm going to send this book in and then probably head to the movies. You know what just came out today, Journal? Cars 2. Isn't that great? A sequel to a hit animated movie. I'm so, so, so happy for them. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that being in Finding Nemo 1, the highest grossing animated movie at that point, and hosting the Oscars, and hosting American Idol. And having your own TV show. Was just like simply not enough money for you. This is a hilarious bit that you're doing here about how if only you had that extra several million dollars from Pixar, your life would finally be good.
0: So something I will say is that If you didn't know that Ellen DeGeneres was famously a bitch, then you would not necessarily find it in this book. I feel like it's easy to kind of highlight things looking back. There is a tone in this book that's slightly old person being like, society today, but it's not necessarily mean. It's not necessarily anything. What I do find interesting is this sort of pre-pandemic obsession with wealth that people are allowed to have. And I feel like the celebrity culture of worshiping people's success of not questioning it or being angry or mad about it just the idea that she's allowed to write this chapter about how successful she is and being mad that she wasn't a little more successful which she then became it's such a funny premise for a chapter to me It is such a funny premise
1: for a chapter, and I do think pre-pandemic, it was this thing where people didn't question hoarding of wealth, but they also didn't question the persona that we were told to put upon people. We have just been told over and over again that Ellen is nice and happy and dances and is kind and fun, and we're supposed to just believe it always, and then... The Dakota Johnson thing wasn't like a grand overturning of Ellen's persona. It was one tiny crack in this thing that we were told to believe. And as soon as it cracked, the whole thing shattered.
0: I also wonder, too, if the complete buying of a TV persona was because this was pre-Instagram. I think right now in the age of influencers, where there's such a melding of the public and private persona, and there's such an obsession by people like us, Kardashian Colloquium, de moi the prying apart of what is PR and what is authentic has become much more innate in us we are looking for it all the time and we're much more aware of the way that we've been manipulated in the past and I think at this point in time there wasn't as much of like the blurring of the lines and so when you're told this is Ellen DeGeneres one hour a week that's who she is all of the time we believed it and now it's like yeah she's fucking playing a part and then the other thing is she was a stand-up comedian so I do think stand-up comics are believed to be more authentic than other people. So, like, if this is her making jokes and being silly, you have this idea that... Like, she's not lying to you. There's also... The TV show host has like a weird position in society where they're, like, our conduit to celebrities. Yeah. You wouldn't call Julianna Rancic a celebrity necessarily because she's talking about celebrities like she's us. Right. But we know her name. She is the celebrity. I do think people didn't question it but they
1: also like wanted to believe it Mm -hmm. in a very specific way like I remember when I first moved to Los Angeles a really good friend of mine was a PA on the Ellen show we all moved out there right after college and we're like trying to find jobs and they were the first one to get a cool entertainment industry job and so we were very all the time like oh my god what is it like working on Ellen it was a huge moment and he told us Ellen is fucking awful like You can't make eye contact with Ellen. She is terrible to the people around her. And that was a weird thing where then after that, I would tell people, they'd be like, oh, so-and-so knows Ellen. And I'd be like, oh yeah, I heard she's really fucking
0: awful. And they'd be like, no, not Ellen. I can like picture my grandma being like, she just seems like such a nice person. There's something about her that people really want to believe in. But it's
1: so wild looking back at it and looking at the moments where she showed you who she was and just no one cared until all of a sudden Dakota Johnson said, I invited you to my birthday
0: party and you didn't come. It's crazy that that was the straw that broke the camel's back of like a million exploited workers. I also, I remember when you were telling me all that stuff and I was like looking for blind items. I think this was before we even had the podcast and I just Googled like Ellen DeGeneres, not nice to see what I could come up with. And what I came up with was a New York Times interview of Ellen DeGeneres being like, I'm tired of playing nice. I don't want to have to put on this persona anymore. She was like, I want to quit the show. I'm so sick of faking it but everyone in my family is like, why would you give up $50 million a year for like not that much work? Good point. I feel like the counterpoint would be like, well, I already have $500 million, so why do I need 50 more? Another good point. I did think it was so funny that it was that out there. She was fully being like, this is not who I am. I'm not a nice person. I'm sick of pretending. And people were like, shh, you don't know her. (laughs) Anyway, in
1: this chapter, I mean, in this whole book, she doesn't really offer that many cracks in the foundation because
0: there's not really any foundation to crack. There's nothing in here. Each chapter, I would say you could kind of categorize into three sections. And the sections are, I'm just like you, I'm relatable, or I'm better than you, here's some advice, or absolute nonsense. Absolute fucking nonsense. nonsense. Just to get the absolute nonsenses out of the way, should we just name a couple of our favorite absolute nonsense chapters? We will be going out of order because there is no order. I mean, it's like being in outer space.
1: They didn't put this in any specific order.
0: The Mm -hmm. weirdest thing is that I think there was an order because they have a chapter that's an open letter to a mall cop and the joke in it is that she stole his Segway and crashed into a pottery barn. And I think that that was supposed to be written in the earlier chapters because a couple of the earlier chapters... Make callbacks to that reference, being like, Yeah, and if you're bored, just don't steal a segue from a mall cop. And so I almost think that that was supposed to be first, and then somehow it got moved to the back.
1: Yeah, because they tripped and the pile of papers fell in a different order. Yeah,
0: and an intern dropped all the papers, and they're like, If I tell Ellen, I will get fired, but if I don't tell Ellen, maybe nobody will even read the book. And, and they were right. They were right. <laughs> so, what's your favorite ridiculous chapter? I guess. Haiku,
1: should I just read the whole chapter? Are mm-hmm. you guys, do you guys have time if I just read this entire chapter to you right now? Yeah. Okay, the whole chapter is, haiku sounds like I'm saying hi to someone named Ku.
0: Hi, Koo, hello. I'm done. If you want <laughs> to chime in. I don't want to chime in. I don't want to like give it the time of day. I'm so mad that this got published and there's like people with MFAs from the Iowa Writers Workshop begging to be given a shot. I'll read one of my favorites, Magic. Mm-hmm. I love Magic. I've had a lot of magicians and illusionists perform on my show and I'm always in awe of what they can do. I actually learned a mind reading trick and I thought I would try it out if you would like. This hurts me because you know I love magic. (laughs) Yeah, and she's like making fun of you.
1: There's actually a part where she makes fun of you too also, the band, and it really felt like a two-pronged
0: targeted attack on our psyches. So here's the magic trick as it's written in the book. All you have to do is think of a number, any number. Are you thinking of it? Okay, say it out loud. Now turn the page. That's what I was thinking of. Ah, isn't that freaky?
1: <laughs> <laughs> freaky deaky.
0: So that's the chapter. There's another chapter where she's like, I understand that some of you might be listening to this on audiobooks, So here's some sounds for you. And then she like spells out sounds. There's another chapter that's called the meaning of life. And the chapter is the word
1: kale. But then there's a second chapter where she goes, just kidding the meaning of life. And then she just
0: rambles nonsensically. She has a chapter for children. That's just a coloring book. She has a chapter for teens. That's, like, all AIM talk from, like, late 90s. What about the chapter for old people that's just a large print menu? See, that's what... I, is this a book? Could we call it? I get that it's a collection of pages, but it's like, when is the house a home?
1: <laughs> <laughs> when you put a doormat in front of it. Or when you hang up a wine o'clock sign in the kitchen.
0: Yeah, that's why I've never lived in a home before, and that's why I <laughs> seem so untethered. This is not a book. This is just... This is garbledy-gook. <laughs> Okay, now let's go through. What do you want to start with? I'm relatable. I'm just like you or I'm better than you. And that's why you should take my advice. Well, I think that there's a couple
1: more semi-memorific chapters. Please lead me to them. I don't actually, I don't know if you can call them that. There's two chapters. One is called common courtesy.
0: This is, I would very strongly put in the I'm better than you category. Okay. But take us to it. Oh my God. I forgot there's a tweet chapter where she just reads a tweet. It's not even tweets chapter. It's just like a tweet. How come when you wipe up dust, it's called dusting, but when you wipe up a spill, it's not called spilling? There's something to think about. Do you guys see what I mean when I say either she wrote this in one sitting or someone else wrote this in one sitting? But there's no (laughs) way that that could have been a conversation. I guess maybe Ellen is so scary that she's like, what do you think? And you just have to say yes. I don't know how you could have said that and it could have gone nowhere. I don't know how she could have outlined the idea for a book that could have been less than what this book ended up being. There is a literal chapter in this book
1: called The Longest Chapter, where she spends four pages being like, this is about to be a really long chapter. I've got something really important to talk about, four full pages of like hyping up how important the chapter is about to be, and then being like, actually, do you know what? No, I don't really have much to say.
0: The irony is that's not even the longest chapter. She should have doubled down. The longest chapter is probably six pages. Why didn't she actually make that The Longest Chapter? I think that's a joke. No, that's too high level of a joke. She should have just made it the longest chapter.
1: Anyway, okay, so this one is a little bit autobiographical. It's called American Idol, or if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And it is about the time that she was one of the judges on American Idol, which I honestly had no idea happened.
0: We actually are going to do a Patreon this week with Shannon McNamara, who is fluently forward on TikTok and Instagram, who has an incredible podcast that specializes in blind items. One of the things we are going to get to the bottom of with her is what happened with Ellen DeGeneres on American Idol, because this is the one chapter that does feel like it was a bit PR-ish, like she came in with a mission. The rest could have been written by a table. It didn't matter. But this one was like it had an agenda, and I'm curious what the agenda was trying to hide. So we're going to talk to Shannon on the Patreon this week and find out what is buried underneath this pile of shit that is a book
1: so this chapter is as close as you can get to complaining while still sounding happy you know when something like really doesn't go according to plan but you don't want to sound like a bitch about it you like no I had I really did have fun like if you don't get to go to Italy
0: during a pandemic yeah and you're
1: like I really am happy I'm so thankful for everything else in my life we had a fun vacation anyway we didn't go to Italy but like it was still really fun <laughs> that's this chapter she's like I hosted American Idol it was I swear it was I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. It was hard. It didn't always go the way I thought it would. I had to do two jobs in one day, but I really liked it. She calls it funficult. Fun, but difficult.
0: So let's just go through the chapter. She starts off, first of all, saying she's a huge fan of American Idol. And I don't know if... What channel is she on? ABC? Fox. I mean, it must be on the same channel. I don't know who paid her, but she plugged every show on her channel. She's like... I am a huge fan of Survivor. She's like, I hate TV and electronics. Of course, unless American Idol is on. She plugs so much TV in this book. So she's like, I'm a huge fan of American Idol, and that's why when I was asked to be, of course I was going to go. It seems like I had great seats. She goes, I'll say this about them. Ryan is truly a workaholic. He never stops. You don't see this watching from home, but during commercial breaks, he goes around the audience selling Mary Kay cosmetics. And as for Simon, you can't always believe what you see. I know he comes across a certain way on TV, but in real life, and I don't mean to shock you, he's actually completely hairless. She is so funny. Oh, my God. She doesn't even mention anybody else. <laughs> I know. She's like, everyone is exactly what you think. Who else was even on the show? <laughs> she's like, I thought it was going to be really fun. But then it turned out to be a lot of work. Her show normally tapes at 4 o'clock every day. She gets to the studio, I guess, around 9. They rehearse. They tape at 4 for the next day. Yes. But because American Idol tapes live, they had to tape her show at 2.30. It It'd end at 3.30. She got in a car. She rushed to American Idol, where they start taping at 5 p.m. So she'd have to go
1: across town, change clothes, shoot another show, critique performances, which she said was pretty nerve-wracking because she didn't like saying mean things to people's faces. I guess she doesn't like to talk
0: to people. Yeah. I mean, if you're beneath her, let's face it, anybody who's waiting on the sidewalk to get into American Idol is beneath her. She didn't realize she'd have to interact with them directly.
1: And then she talks about how she's still a really good person because even after people got eliminated from the show, she would have them on her talk show to like still help them create a platform. And it's like, you're right. You're so wonderful.
0: And then she goes, in fact, now I have my own record label and I can discover and nurture new talent. And that feels great. What? Record label? Do you think she went on American Idol to promote her record label? She must have. Why? does she, Has anybody ever heard of Ellen DeGeneres' record label? Should I Google it really quick? Yeah. Okay.
1: Records did exist, barely. As far as I can tell, one album was ever put out, and it was a Jessica Simpson Christmas album. Charlie Puth initially signed with
0: 1111 Records, never put out anything with them. But it's because he had his debut on the Ellen show. Right. I wonder if somebody in her family or a close friend was like, I want to start a music production company. What if we did it together? And then it's like a perfect vertical because we can promote them on your show, which makes me laugh because if you remember Cute Target Boy? Yes. What if they're like, Cute Target Boy, do you want a record deal? They're <laughs> <laughs> just like anybody you find on the internet that you bring onto the TV show. It's like TikTok. Everyone gets a record deal. There's a four-year-old who knows all of his dinosaurs. He's getting a record deal.
1: Anyway, I guess Ellen is really into music.
0: Did you recall Jessica Simpson talking about Ellen DeGeneres? No. The only thing I remember about Ellen DeGeneres from Jessica Simpson's memoir, and please go easy on me, baby, because we read that over a year ago. But she talked about that time she went on Ellen DeGeneres and was very drunk.
1: Yes. So that's her time on American Idol. She says she made a pit stop at American Idol. So there must have been something bigger there because no one does a one-year contract. I mean, I'm sure that there are like tester contracts, but I do think something must have been really bad here.
0: Reality set in and things changed. My schedule got crazy. Pressure started building. Randy kept calling me dude. So this whole chapter is three and a half pages, by the way. I mean, we have almost verbatim read you the chapter at this (laughs) point. So if you think we're hiding anything, you've heard it all. And it ends, I'm still a huge fan of Idol. I watch it every single week. It's a great panel. Randy's been there from the very beginning. I just feel like if you can't think of anything nice to say, be like, God, and Ashley, she's 30. (laughs) She's been on this planet definitely since 1991, and you can't say she's not. Actually, do you know what? What?
1: I've been oft accused of being on a different planet. (laughs) And I would say you could say I've collectively spent more than one year there.
0: There's the glamorous diva with pretty hair and the jewelry and the gorgeous makeup. And then there's Jennifer Lopez, who doesn't look so bad herself. I love watching and I'm happier now when I get to sit at home on my sofa with Portia. And the only thing I have to judge is Portia's cooking.
1: I'm happy there. I'm happy and I like not being on the show.
0: That's just a joke. It's always delicious is what she says about Portia's cooking. She hates Portia's cooking. Can I say something that might be homophobic? (laughs) But I just feel like in lesbian couples, they're always like, stop asking who's the man and who's the woman. Well, because that's just, you know, gender roles being thrust upon. But Okay, but if there's not a boy and a girl one, then how come Ellen DeGeneres spends her entire book talking about her hot wife's bad cooking? (laughs) (laughs) Because that's the boy one. (laughs) Yeah, earlier she says that Portia taught herself to cook. And it's actually so good. She's like, I swear. She didn't have any lessons, but it's not bad. That's as much as we get of Portia. That and the lotion. Those are the two insights into who Portia de Rossi is as a person. No,
1: there's a third insight. Okay.
0: It's that Portia has one of those poor magnifying mirrors in the shower. <gasps> that is actually the first thing where I was like, maybe there is something to glean. She says in one of the opening chapters, should we just go to it? Yeah. I forgot that Ellen DeGeneres was a cover girl, but she won't let you forget. She mentioned it like nine times
1: in this book. Being a cover girl, there's a lot to know. You have to smile. You have to be beautiful. You have to be me. She says, however, true beauty is about who you are as a human being, your principles, your moral compass. Ellen, tell me about yours. I know that you're a vegan, but have you ever done
0: another good thing? So then she goes off on a tangent about how they have one of those makeup pore magnifying mirrors in the shower, which, much like my Sex in the City sex scene <sighs> question, I'm afraid I'm going to think that this is not normal and then people are going to realize I'm not normal, but Ashley, in your experience, have you ever heard of people having that in the shower? I think
1: to see my naked body 5X in the shower is one of the worst things that I could imagine.
0: I guess you have all of your best thoughts in the shower. And if Portia's thoughts are mostly about how she could get skinnier, that's like a great place to be refocusing. Literally not just focusing, but magnifying. I That just doesn't make sense. Anyway. I also like that like it is Portia's because Ellen is like, I never look in it. And one time I saw it by accident. And then she goes on a little rant about nonsense this is one of those interesting chapters that just like meanders around she talks
1: about being a cover girl and then she talks about the shower and then she goes everyone has flaws and it's okay to be you and it's like thank you thank you ellen and then she talks about how she would never lie about her age and she says she would never lie about her age because it's googleable and i'm like that's not stopping a lot of people so i'm gonna
0: guess that you might be lying about your age the bottom line is we are who we are. We look a certain way, we talk a certain way, we walk a certain way. I strut because I'm a supermodel, and sometimes I gallop for fun. When we learn to accept that, other people learn to accept us. So be who you really are. Embrace who you are. Literally, hug yourself. Unless you're a serial killer. Ha ha. Okay, I have two chapters I want to discuss in tandem.
1: Please bring them forth. Common courtesy and social skills. Hit us. So common
0: courtesy is about getting places on time. I know she means it as a joke, but the things I've heard about Kim Kardashian is that she's always on time. And I've heard Ryan Seacrest is also... I do think that there is a little truth of this, that people who are deeply successful are always on time. Right.
1: But then she punctuates it with a story about throwing a dinner party where the guest showed up two hours late, which I agree is unhinged.
0: I would say rude. I think it's more than rude. I think to show up two hours late, you just kind of assume at that point that someone's not coming. I also wonder what kind of party they thought it was. And I think that gets to more of the point you're about to make. So continue. So
1: there is a line in this chapter that I actually find quite telling. She's talking about how... The party was planned for 7 o'clock. You expect people to trickle in between 7 and 7.15. There's 18 to 20 minutes of small talk, some appetizers, and by 7.45, it's time to eat. You eat for about an hour, drink a Magnum or two of Shaw have a heated discussion about politics and or the quality of the Look Who's Talking sequel as compared to the original, and by 9 o'clock, you're yawning so people know it's time to find their coats. When people don't show up until 9, everything gets pushed back far too late. I mean, true, but I do think the fact that you're having a dinner party and expecting it to be like a hard and fast two hours is also insane.
0: I guess she only has work parties. That's how long you would go and meet for a dinner that was being expensed. I feel like when you really don't want to be somewhere,
1: you're like, okay, I have to go to this thing. I will get there by 7, 7.15 at the latest, do my small talk, sit down for the meal and get the fuck out of there by 9.00.
0: Also in this chapter, though, beyond being mad about people being two hours late to a dinner party, which I think we all agree is fine. But then her next example of how rude people are is she goes, and not only are people rude, but they have no boundaries anymore. I was in a public ladies room recently because the portolette that's usually part of my motorcade was in for repairs. And the person in the stall next to me was on her cell phone in the stall in public, not a care in the world. On the one hand, I was happy for her because I found out her son made honor roll and her husband got a promotion at work. On the other hand, I didn't need to know that her rash turned out to be nothing more than bicycle chafing. I guess I don't think that that's that crazy. Also, I don't believe that Ellen DeGeneres has ever been in a public bathroom. And so that's why I think she made this situation up. It's like she's playing a weird SNL character. Uh, It's like weird to watch somebody try to embody... Like regular wacky lady. Yeah. She's like the cashier at the supermarket where you guys get together and go, can you believe this generation? And she's like, what do poor people complain about? Oh, they probably hate it when other people are on the phone in the bathroom, huh? I've never heard someone make that complaint before. I've never heard someone make that complaint before.
1: I also like don't think it's that crazy to be talking on the phone in the bathroom. I think it's rude when it's like supposed to be a kind of quiet spot. I think if I'm sitting at a coffee shop trying to get work done and someone is just yammering away on the phone next to me, it's like everyone in here is using some sort of volume control. Like even if you're here with another person and chatting, you kind of keep it hush. And for this person to be blabbing their face off is annoying. I was on a
0: Megabus the other day.
1: That's a good example. I don't think you can talk on your phone on a Megabus. And this
0: woman talked on her phone the entire time. But the craziest part was she was whispering, but she had them on speaker. You couldn't hear what she was saying, but you could hear everything else. And it's just like, hold the phone to your ear. You would be in such a reasonable volume if you just held the phone to your ear. Anyway. I guess this is just because it was before the age of cell phones. But then she spends the rest of the chapter talking about crazy places to talk on the phone. And it's just anywhere but your house. She goes, nothing's worse than when you call someone and they're not at home and you can tell that they're at the grocery store. You can tell that they're out and about and talking to you. And it's like, That's what cell phones are. (laughs) Why did you call their cell phone then? I'm sorry. Should they have been like, hold on, I'm walking home. (laughs) Give me a minute. If
1: you want to make sure you're only talking to someone at home, call the landline. So then there's another chapter called social skills, which I think pairs really nicely with this chapter about manners because this is one about how people don't communicate anymore. It's about how in the age of social media, people don't write letters anymore or something. She's like, we should go back to writing letters to our friends. Why? And then she has this line where she says, it's even more awkward when we're face to face with people it used to be exciting to make plans with friends because you could sit and catch up and talk about what's been going on in your lives now when you see someone there's nothing left to say you've already seen the pictures from their trip to rio on facebook you've read their tweets about the latest diet they're on and they already texted you about their pregnancy scares so you end up just sitting and staring at each other until you both start texting other people this leads to my grand conclusion that ellen does not have a single friend in the world that's not true george bush <laughs> She and George Bush have been writing letters to each other for years and finally they met up for a game of sport.
0: Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. You know who Ellen and George Bush are? They're the boomer generation, Lana Del Rey and James Franco. (laughs) They've just written poetry and letters and one day they'll publish a book of it. Who wrote this book? What kind of robot
1: pretending to be a person are you? I see Claire every single day and
0: we FaceTime also every day. You guys, today we were FaceTiming to work on the outline for this podcast, if you can believe it or not, that this actually was thought out in advance. And we were talking on FaceTime on my phone and I was sitting in front of my laptop and I wanted to FaceTime her from my laptop and I kept being like, okay, I'm about to call you on my laptop, but I just have to tell you one last thing first. Like I couldn't get it together to hang up on my phone to call her from my computer. It was a one second
1: lapse. I just think that I get running out of things to say with people. I go on a lot of dates. Sometimes you just run out of stuff to say when you're boring, I guess. But the way that she's like, when you text people all the time, what is left? And it's like, I genuinely believe in your heart of hearts. You have never thought to ask another person a question. She's an interviewer, but her interviewing, she doesn't ask people questions. She like makes fun of them. But you
0: know what's funny is in the book, she has a chapter. Should we move to that chapter about where she gives you tips on how to talk to people? And the (laughs) advice is the one hint at being mean. In the chapter talking hard, she says, there are a few things I didn't realize would happen when I signed on to host my talk show. One, I didn't know that for the first three months of the job, I would have a recurring dream where Maury Povich invites me onto his show to tell me that Phil Donahue was my biological father. And two, I didn't realize how much I was going to have to talk. Oh my heavens, there's a lot of talking. I know the job title is talk show host, but I guess when I first started, I focused more on the host part. I picked out nice candles for the guest dressing rooms. I made sure the lighting was just right. I stocked the rooms with champagnes and fresh strawberries. I even picked out soft robes and underwear in case anyone wanted to get more comfortable. Sure, a lot of my guests initially thought I was hitting on them, but that was my mistake. I just didn't realize how much talking there would be. And my job isn't a job where I can never take a day off. Believe me, I've tried. The studio is always like, you signed a contract to be here every day. Blah, blah, blah. It's a lot of pressure. It turns out if I stop talking, the show comes to a complete stop. It's the same as writing this book. If I don't write, nothing happens. This is where she has a full blank page. Do you see what I mean? It's pressure. It's not just the talking. I also have to listen.
1: And then she says, don't get me wrong. I love my job, but let's just break down how much talking there is on my show. And then she talks about how every day she has to
0: talk. So blah, blah, blah. It goes on and on and on. And then she talks about how boring people are and how their breath is always bad and they never know how to tell stories. And finally, she goes, obviously, it's my job to keep the conversation going and headed in a good, positive, upbeat direction. So I've learned that there are definitely questions to steer clear of to make sure that happens. If any of you ever decide to host your own talk show, and I encourage you to do so, here are some things you should never ask a guest. Oh, I guess this is the opposite of what I thought.
1: And then she goes on and on to say, I genuinely do love what I do. I love getting to meet new people every day. I like introducing my audiences to new music and talent. I like helping people. It's not like I'd rather be a mime. I mean, thou doth protest a
0: lot. (laughs) Here, let me read the question. She says this dear clear up. How old are you really? And where is that tattoo? And where is that piercing? What an interesting story that was about your belt. Tell me more. Could we see more pictures of your wife giving birth in the tub? What a fucking bitch. (laughs) I guess it is like so obvious now that we know that she fucking hates these people. That's why I kind of think she wrote this. I think she wrote it because I can't imagine
1: someone else having written it because I do think that if Ellen wrote this and turned it in, they're like, all right, I guess this is pages. But if someone else wrote this and turned this in, they'd be like, how dare you turn this in? This sucks so much that for someone else yes. to have written this. I can't believe this is the first not ghost written book we've ever <laughs> This is why they need ghostwriters. I think if an intern or like any other person had turned this in, they would have been like, you're absolutely fired right now. But if Ellen did it, they have to
0: be like, all right. I guess we press print. The next chapter is pros and cons, where then she does a pros and cons list of writing pros and cons lists to help people make decisions. So this, I think,
1: is an important category of chapter we have in this book where she's helping people live. She takes it upon herself to address really important situations throughout this book, like making big decisions in your life. She tackles insomnia. She tackles body image. <laughs> I think helping people to live is what I'm calling I'm better than you. Yeah, sure. But she really takes it upon herself to give tips for, like, depression. So in this one, she says a lot of times people have trouble making really big decisions. That's a really common thing. And so if you're having trouble, make a pro-con list. It's as easy as that. And then she makes a pro-con list about pro-con lists. Here are the pros of pro-con lists and the cons of pro-con lists. And then the chapter ends. And
0: she's solved all your problems. I mean, this gets back to the you're allowed to be super rich, unquestionably, years of American life, which I guess in many places we still live in, but not on this podcast. But I want to talk about the chapter Stuff, where she says, I don't like clutter. I firmly believe that there is a place for everything and everything should be in its place. And I know there's a name for people like me, NEAT. It's astounding how much stuff we all have. Our closets are full of stuff, our drawers are full of stuff, our stuff is piled on top of other stuff. The older we get, the more stuff we get, blah blah blah. So she's going on and talking about how bad it is to be a hoarder and she's like you need to throw all your stuff out and then she's like not like me. I love throwing stuff out and she has moved 10 times in the past 15 years at the point of this book. And she's like, "Yeah, every time I move, I just throw out all my stuff." And I'm like, "Wow, good advice. Just constantly buy new shit. That's good for clutter." But then she later goes on, she has all these things about the environment and how you need to stop buying so much stuff because it's bad for the environment. She's like, "You have to turn off the lights because it's bad for the environment." Unplug your toaster. Yeah, she's like, you need to start unplugging your electronics. I'm like, I'm sorry, Ellen, but there's literally no chance in hell that one, you have less stuff than me and two, you contribute less to the environment than I do. I spent five years of my life and my bedroom was literally 60 square feet and everything I owned fit in that room. Do not tell me to unplug my fucking toaster, bitch? (laughs) I know. It really goes back to Ellen at the beginning of the pandemic
1: saying that she felt like she was trapped in jail when she was in her Montecito estate. With horses.
0: That's what I'm saying is I think the pandemic, like the reason that that Imagine video felt so cloying and out of touch is because these people on these giant estates were like, hey, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And it's like, yeah, you are going to get through this. Gal, your movie still came out. You're in a giant house. Some people are like sick and dying. And this idea of them just being like, I'm here. Aren't you lucky that I'm here? No, actually, this isn't helping me at all. And I feel like this book is such a good Example of back when we were like, well, Ellen is a billionaire and that does make her morally superior. Ellen's right. I shouldn't be cluttered as much. That's why Dolly is the only good celebrity. Dolly Parton, I know that
1: we're in a very strong anti Stan podcast. I do stand Dolly Parton because all of the celebrities were like, is showing my face on Instagram going to make you feel less alone? And we were like, the problem isn't that I feel alone. The problem is that our nation is broken. (laughs) And people are dying and the economy, there's a lot, there's a list. And Dolly Parton was like, what if I donate a fuck ton of money to help the vaccine go faster? And it's like, well, that now we're, now we're working on something. (laughs) Anyway, God,
0: she has a chapter, like I was just saying, where she's trying to teach you how to get over all mental illness. She ends the cluttered chapter talking about how ridiculous it is to buy new clothes every year. And she's like, it's so crazy. Nobody cares what you're wearing. I do wonder how often Ellen rewears things and I wonder what size closet Ellen has. (laughs) I challenge you, Ellen, who buys more clothes, me or
1: you? Okay, so then there's a chapter called Be Happy where she helps people get over mental illness and she is teaching you how to get over the sads and become happy. She says, it helps to surround yourself with positive people. No one likes to be around negative Nellies. All right. That's helpful. Life is about balance, the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, the pina and the colada. And then she goes on a rant about like spiders in caves or something like that. And then goes, what was I saying? Oh, right. Negative thoughts. Get rid of them. I did. You know what a wise person once said? Why pay full price for a sweater when you can steal it for free? You know what another wise person once said? Happiness is a journey, not a destination. What is she fucking
0: saying? I wonder if she, like, thought anyone would read this. She can't have thought anyone would read this. Okay, can we next go to the gift-giving chapter? And then I want to go to I'm not lazy. But, like, can you truly imagine? Okay, I am literally certain that Ellen's only
1: friend, George W. Bush, has never leaned on her for emotional support.
0: Of course not. He does art therapy.
1: (laughs) I go through funks. And if you were to tell me when I was feeling sad,
0: nobody likes a negative Nelly, I think I would... I don't know. I do think with the George Bush thing, if you can start a war where like a million people die and you're like still getting up every day and going to football games, you probably don't. Get too funky too much (laughs) I don't know If that won't get you down What would I mean we know
1: (laughs) Ellen doesn't like A negative Nelly So So he's gotta be A positive guy A positive Pete (laughs) People are still Talking about that war I got the conversation Started That's fun
0: (laughs) I don't think I've ever Said nobody likes A negative Nelly to you I do think I'm like Oh you're a grump (laughs) I think I've
1: called you A grump a lot I think you called me A grump today But I was feeling grumpy
0: And I didn't say it mean Someone's like How was Ashley I go She's grumpy (laughs) I was You remember When I went through My grump period Where I kept saying I'm grumpy like a lizard You were grumpy What did you do with your negative thoughts? Get rid of them? I channeled it into a, a highlight on Instagram Where I did grumpy zards And I posted tons of pictures of grumpy lizards It's still on my Instagram And then I would go, I'm grumpy <laughs> And honestly, that brought me out of my funk Okay Try it I will Okay, I would love to move on in the spirit of Ellen To the chapter Ellen's Guide to Gift-Giving So she says gift-giving might be one of the most complicated things that exists on this earth. On this earth. Tell that to George Bush. (laughs) Ask him about wars and then talk about (laughs) gift-giving. That's why the Iraq war got so bad. He was too distracted thinking about Christmas to bring the (laughs) troops home. He goes, bring the troops home for Christmas? I can barely get my wife something for Christmas. The troops have to wait. I've
1: got dinner at Ellen's house on Tuesday and she's always picky about gifts.
0: This is why we need meteor memoirs because then we just start talking about the Iraq war and I don't know how we got here. (laughs) Six degrees of separation, Ellen DeGeneres and Abu Ghraib. (laughs) Okay, so back to gift giving being one of the most complicated things that exists on the earth. She then goes into this whole thing about how it's good etiquette to bring something whenever you go to someone's house. It's polite and it's generous and it shows you appreciate being welcomed into somebody's home. But my question is, how long does that go on for? What if you've been to their house a million times? Do you still have to bring something? The first time you go, you bring a bottle of wine. The second time, maybe you bring flowers. When does it stop? Are the gifts supposed to keep getting bigger? After a few years of game nights, does it says to become look what we brought you, Joyce? It's an above-ground pool. Then there are some people who refuse to bring anything when they come to somebody's house. Even if you bring something every time you go to their house, they bring you nothing. Here's my solution for people like that. When you go to their house, you take something. You bring a bottle of wine, you take their microwave. You bring a bunk cake, you get to take their car. It's the inn and it's the And then she goes on about how hard it is to get Christmas gifts for people. And she goes, it's harder to figure out where the cutoff line is. I always like to get something for my mail carrier, but then I have to get something for my UPS person. That means I have to get something for my FedEx person, my garbage person, my pool person, my plant lady person, my fish pond person, my trainer, my vocal coach, my dog's vocal coach. And of course, the woman who washes my face. And then what about the people I hire to do all my Christmas shopping? Do I have to get them gifts too? This to me is a joke that's not a joke.
1: It is literally not a joke. She's like, literally, who do I have to get gifts for? Because we have a staff of 100 (laughs) and I don't know how many candles I need.
0: You know who is a good gift giver? Who? Sarah Jessica Parker. I have heard that from the same person you heard it about. But I have actually heard that she treats the people that she works with on film sets like incredibly well. Not Kim Cattrall, but but everybody else. It makes me think Kim's the problem because everybody else has nothing but nice things to say about her. And I'm only thinking about it because Kim Kardashian recently on a podcast said Sarah Jessica Parker was the nicest celebrity she's ever met. Interesting. And I've also heard Sarah Jessica Parker is incredibly professional. The most prepared, on-time, punctual, professional person God, this is layers. You as we talked about and just like that on the Patreon last week. So if you haven't heard it, subscribe, tune in. Anyway, I bring that up. One, to judge up this conversation, because I feel bad that we're talking about absolute nonsense. <laughs> and two, to compare it to this sentiment of, I think, like, what we're seeing here in Ellen, who I'm going to go along with the idea that she did write this whole book by herself. I don't see how she couldn't have. I don't think she hired an editor, even. No. I think this is a first draft. Straight from the Google Doc onto the page, under your Christmas tree, and into the garbage. That's, like, the lifespan of this book. And it was truly a two-week span. It was, like, a TikTok that went viral and then died. Okay, anyway, but I do think that, on the one hand... She's pretending to joke about having all these people who work for her, but that's not a joke. No. But I think what's sincere is her bitterness and resentment that she has to treat her staff well. Like, I do think she's like, but just because you work for me full time... I have to be nice to you on Christmas? That's fucking ridiculous. I don't even know you that well.
1: All these people are like taking my energy. You know that like self-care language where you're just like, I don't have enough to give to all of these people who want something from me. Yes, I have to make time for me. You do literally employ all of these people. They make their living from knowing you and working for you and you are their boss.
0: So manage this company. She then goes into a rant about how she has a January birthday, so that means she gets really good gifts on her birthday because people are often re-gifting Christmas gifts to her and that the people by October are getting bad re-gifts, which, again, the way that she's cosplaying as middle class here, that's what gets me, is this idea that nobody buys anybody a gift. Everybody just spends the year re-gifting, and then at Christmas, we reset, like solitaire. Yeah. Like how you go through the packet of flip cards and then you're like, well, I can't wait for the deck to reshuffle. I guess she's just like posing herself
1: again as someone who's never been thoughtful about other people ever because I do believe she wrote that joke because it was January and she was going to a dinner party and she's like, fuck, we have to bring something. And they were like, oh, we have this shit from Christmas that we haven't touched and we don't want, so we'll regift it. And she was like, isn't that a funny concept to just keep regifting shit all year long?
0: I also do wonder does she not have one friend whose house she goes to regularly enough that they've stopped bringing? gifts no i do think if you and your best friend every time you meet up it's like this formal thank you note here's a gift here's a bottle of wine maybe you have no friends because at some point it should become casual at some point it should become
1: casual i get that if you're going for a full meal it makes sense to bring something i think if i'm going over to
0: someone's house if i was putting effort into the hangout
1: when you put on a dinner party i show up with a
0: sixer we're saying would like in the potential future yeah or like if you're buying pizzas i bring beer (laughs) for me and Mac (laughs) know what this makes me think though what I have a feeling she has this formal cold professional relationship with everybody and so every time her and Portia make love Portia gets a hey that was great last night thanks for that text (laughs) (laughs) because I do feel pretty confident saying they sleep in different suites yes I think that they have a wing and I bet that Ellen's just like I'm just really finicky about how I sleep like I just need my sleep because I'm on every day and I can't be getting woken up when you have to burn calories in the middle of the night so just we have a love making room I bet you their house has three wings hers and hers yeah there's like the Ellen suite
1: the Porsche suite and the couple's wing and I'm willing to bet you that they like sleep in the couple's room it's a weird thing I feel like to go into someone else's space so they have a mutual space that they like only use on birthdays and anniversaries a
0: boom boom room like the Jersey Shore <laughs>
1: yes they have a boom boom room and no guest rooms
0: okay I think that the three suites are so there's an Ellen suite and I think the boom boom room is an Ellen suite so she doesn't have to walk as far when she's done no I think they spend the night in the boom boom room yeah but I still think it's in Ellen's suite so that even in the morning she doesn't have to like <laughs> grapple around for her glasses she wants to be by her closet she wants to be by her bathroom Portia's doing a walk of shame in her own estate <laughs> every time she makes I don't know why you're saying makes love every time she makes whoopee. <laughs> every time they pork each other girl style every time they lady pork But I think where you're wrong is I think the third wing of the house, it's like the guest's wing where they host people. And I think even if you were GW, GWB, when he comes over, he's not allowed anywhere near Ellen's real space. They have almost a common area the way a hotel does where all the guests get hosts. And I bet there's even a separate kitchen and dining. Like, you know, there's like an entire area. They're like, you can't sit on our real couch. Yes. Not even Laura Bush. Nobody can sit on her real couch. But that's the thing is, I don't actually think Porsche's allowed in
1: there either, which is what made me think the boom-boom room would be elsewhere. I see it as a, like almost like the train. Like the front room on Ellen's section and Porsche's not really
0: allowed past a line. Yes. Okay. Like Snowpiercer. The way I see it is Ellen has her own <laughs> house set up like snowpiercer and she's a first class passenger, Porsche's business, and then everybody else is in economy. And of course, it's like an Emirates kind of flight. So like even economy is really good. Yeah. But you have to have clearance to get further and further. Right. And then of course, the staff all has clearance because they're not really people.
1: I think that the people who are allowed to work in Ellen's wing are actually a special clearance of staff. I think that there's full house staff and then there's this is the best house cleaner we have. And so she also cleans or sorry. This is the best house cleaner we have, so they
0: also. (laughs) Listen, we don't wanna misgender the dehumanized Ellen staff.
1: (laughs) That's where we draw the line. Okay, so here's the thing. Like I said, this book ends with a line about loving each other. She says say yes instead of no, say something nice, smile, make eye contact, hug, kiss, get naked. It is so ironic that I have heard from multiple sources that you are not allowed to make eye contact with Ellen if you work for her because she does not view the people that work for her as people. She's like, you have to be nice to your friends. Buy people gifts. Who
0: are these people that are just around? I thought my house just became clean. (laughs) Didn't you have a story about someone who got fired because they told her to get out of harm's way? Oh,
1: yeah. That's not a story that I know someone who's in the room for, so it could be a rumor, but supposedly a light was like loose. They were fixing the lighting on set and there was a hazardous region that she was standing in and so they were like ellen you have to move and she fired that person and the light fell actually i don't know if the light fell but either way she was standing in a hazardous zone and she was told to move and because they told her to move she fired them
0: listen i'd rather be dead than disrespected so team ellen One of my favorite things about the Ellen discourse when people were canceling her on Twitter or whatever. I mean, that goes to show you like cancel culture. By the way, we have it on good authority. Louis still jerking off at people on his tour. So, I mean, cancel culture, schmanchal culture. She's still making $50 million a year to do her show. But a lot of people were like, hey, men do this too. So, and it's just like, is that what we're fighting for? Women can be just as mean to people as men are. Mm -hmm. In my perfect world, there's a top tier of 1% women who also exploit human beings. And it doesn't matter your gender or your sexual preference. You get to have a slave class too. (laughs) (laughs) So the next chapter that we need to talk
1: about before we wrap up is called I Am Not Lazy. And this is a chapter about how we've all actually become a little bit lazy due to technology.
0: I thought it was making us hyperproductive. If we're all lazy, then how come everyone's getting emails at 4 a.m.? So her
1: thing is when she walked into her house one time, she looked for her cat on the intercom and Portia was like, did you just intercom the cat? And she was like, oh my God, I'm so lazy. I didn't feel like looking for the cat. And then she goes on to say that people are getting so lazy that people aren't getting up and moving as much as they used to. And so she says, let's
0: all challenge ourselves today. Humans aren't supposed to be lazy. We're not supposed to go to from work where we sit for hours and hours in the same chair, staring at the same computer screen to our homes where we spend hours and hours sitting in our sofas, playing video games and watching reality TV. Actually, can I say something? Who is the most productive animal you know? Like an eager beaver? Because I'm thinking about all the animals I've met personally, and they're some of the laziest beings I've ever met. I think maybe in nature, we would be much lazier.
1: I think that sea creatures are quite active because they're never really still. They're always like swimming. But are they being productive? Well, yeah. School's of fish. They're always
0: (laughs) learning. Rise and grind, baby. Okay, fair enough. But like, even the lion, I think, sleeps a lot. The lion sleeps
1: tonight. (laughs) Not always.
0: You guys, I'm really sorry. This is your first episode with us. I don't know what to say. We're doing the best with the content at hand. We
1: have... 14 pages of actual content here to work from and it's hard and
0: they're all saying almost nothing so we're pulling in our multimedia knowledge (laughs) of the lion king the animal kingdom how often they sleep
1: what phil collins said about those lions (laughs) i was gonna say how this chapter ends with absolute absurdity She says, let's all challenge ourselves today to get up and move a little more. You know what we should be doing more of? Squatting. Let's all squat more. For every YouTube video you watch, do a squat. For every video game you play, do a lunge, not at someone. Then squat again, and then thrust, and then lunge again, and then squat, and then thrust. And now work your arms by turning the page. You're doing a great
0: job. What did she think that writing this would do? You know what's the weirdest part about this chapter? What? At the bottom of this chapter, she goes, note, this chapter was dictated, but not read. And I guess the joke is like, look how lazy she was. Yeah, it's funny. But were any of these proofread? No. This chapter read literally no different than any other chapter. I think this whole book was dictated. She just was like, write this down. I mean, she opens this chapter going, I'm not a lazy person. In fact, I'm a very busy, hardworking person. I host a daily talk show. I have my own production company. I have my own music label. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. When I said at the beginning of this episode, this is like when you're at a Thanksgiving and you say something that's a dumb joke and your uncle goes, put that in your act. I mean, this really was like, she was like, oh, the other day I got caught intercoming the cat and somebody goes, put that in your book. I guess George. <laughs> this is a list of every time George W. Bush had said to Ellen over dinner. That's funny. That's funny. Funny. <laughs> should we talk actually, you know, since she's not lazy and she is so successful and has to buy so many people stuff, should we get into her suggestions for how to be rich yourself? Because she has a chapter one on how to make a lot of money and two how to become a billionaire. So let's start with how to become a billionaire. Here's her list on how to become a billionaire. One: make a lot of money. Two: don't spend it. End of list. That is not even true. That's a joke about tax evasion. Honestly, a lot of rich people got rich by investments. And not paying taxes. And exploiting the labor of others. Amen. Should we read her other list of how to become just regular rich? If AOC is listening and looking for a career switch, but can't become a hypocrite by becoming a billionaire, here's some other advice. She has a weird fixation on money throughout this book about
1: kind of admitting to having a lot of it. Like, you got me. I'm very rich. But also kind of trying to be relatable with it. There's a keeping up with the Joneses chapter. I think that that is a common situation with social media. Like, everyone's trying to keep up with the next person. But I'm also like, who are you not able to keep up with, Ellen? In
0: what situation are you not keeping up with the Joneses? Here Jones. Five extremely easy ways to make a lot of money. 1. Win the Mega Millions jackpot. 2. Create a social networking site that every single person on earth and elsewhere wants to join. 3. Write a hit song using the word love and the phrase I remember. People go crazy for songs about love and memories. 4. Write a wildly successful series of novels about magical teenage vampire hobbits. 5. Have a major Hollywood studio turn novels about aforementioned magical teenage vampire hobbits into gigantic motion picture franchise. There, easy oh that was rude i forgot there is one small autobiographical actual chapter that we missed it's called babies animals and baby animals and it's about how her and portia will never have children and like at this point we could have guessed because they're not young anymore and they don't have children and it's kind of about how much it sucks to have kids and then she like really harangues parents about what a bad job they're doing she's like too many people go home after college kick them out a baby bird never goes back to the nest she like forgets that people love their kids in this weird way.
1: She's like, it sucks. You have kids now and then you have them for 18 years and then finally you get rid of them and then they come back to your house. And it's just like, Ellen, build another wing. You have the room
0: to have a kid that you don't know about. Yeah, she says, Portia and I don't have any children. That's why we're always full of energy and smiling.
1: I've never seen anyone smile harder than when they've popped out a grimy little gremlin. (laughs) And I'm not even super pro kids. I just think the way she's like literally having kids is disgusting. But like joking about it the whole way is fucking weird.
0: I feel like she's a Kristen Wiig character.
1: Yeah. There's another chapter called Labels where she talks more about being a cover girl. And then she gets almost vulnerable again where she talks about coming out as gay and how sometimes she's not gay enough, and then she's too gay, just being accepted within your own community. And then she just jokes about it more. She says stereotypes are damaging. People make sweeping generalizations and have preconceived notions of what you're supposed to be and who you are based on a few tiny little words. I mean, okay. She says it's important to get to know people before you judge them, and I was like, how many people do you know, though?
0: She's heard. <laughs> okay, you guys, this is a short and sweet little episode. I hope you guys liked it. Before we bid you adieu, I would like to read one last bit from this book as a goodbye beautiful would you help me ashley there's two parts in this chapter i'll
1: take a role.
0: so this is a chapter about
1: what it would be like to have dinner with a psychic claire is gonna play suzy and i'm gonna play the psychic
0: this is based on a situation where her friend went to a dinner party with a psychic <laughs> and she goes i wonder what that was like i bet it was like this and then this is the entirety of the chapter hi i'm Susie. i know how do
1: you know janet i knew you were gonna ask that we met through mutual friends how do you know janet We went... Just kidding. I already know. Do you want me to pass you the salad? Yes, please. I knew you did. Would you like more water? No, thanks. I knew you didn't. Okay, well, it was really nice talking to you. You're going to have spinach in your teeth later. Thanks. I knew you were going to say that.
0: Well, on that note, I hope you can see what we were working with. I hope we gave you a greater insight into Ellen. I'm so excited to have fluently forward on the Patreon this week. And if you missed it last week, we did a breakdown of and just like that, Sex in the City. Welcome to a great new year. I'm so excited. We have a huge lineup for January, and I'm, I'm just I can't wait for 2022 with you guys. I cannot wait for 2022. 20, 20,
1: huh? I cannot wait for these twos with you guys. <laughs> I also wanted to remind you guys that we have merch out. So if you are hoping to start your year with the cutest little mug in town, besides the mug on your head, your head mug, we've got a merch store.
0: I've never heard someone's (laughs) face be positively referred to as a mug.
1: I say, look at that cute little mug. (laughs) Okay. So we've got merch. And we've got merch. And we have got a live show every single Thursday at Nikki's Unisex. So you can
0: hang out there, see some great comedy. We're trying to turn it into like a fun hang for people in New York who are looking to make more friends. So bring your friends, look for friends. We have a great lineup every week. I'm so excited to see you there.
1: Yes, 7 p.m. every Thursday. And now thank you to our beautiful five-star reviewers on iTunes. First of all, thank you so much to our five-star Spotify reviewers. They do not show us the names, but I just want you to know that I adore you. Thank you so much to Sloan underscore underscore K. This review is A-OK with me. Thank you to Carmen F-13. You, me, and Taylor Swift, baby. Lucky 13s. Meg Mag 22. Another Swifty feeling 22. Thank you to Kerger um, rar baby. Thank you to CH0852. Thank you for rock lobster and like a B-52. Thank you, Andrea. You are perfect to the core. Thanks to Nanukira. Whether you're new Kira or old Kira, I love you just the same. Thanks, Erica Marie Claire, my beauty guru. Thank you, Coyote Kristen. We're howling at the same friggin' moon. Thank you, Emmy Gons. Don't be gone, stay here. Thank you, Dottie Gerr. You belong in a league of your own. Thank you, Vanessa C909. One better than those 808s and heartbreaks. Thank you, Scout 4560. Good looking out. Thank you, C Pat 2222. A hearty pat on the back for you. Thank you, Don M4. I adore you from dawn till dusk. Thank you, Choniston45. Uh, we stan a chan. Thank you, hashtag new Housa tabs intern. Oh my god, hashtag thank you so much. I love this review. And if you guys also love that review, send us a tweet with hashtag thank you so much. I love this review. GGP2727272727. There might be 2727s here, but I love you 27 times. Thank you at Linda Bow I friggin' bow down to your review. Thank you, Annie Galdo. I hope you have all the gall you need. Thanks, Haley LHLHLH22. Thank you for helping us come into the year feeling 22. Thank you, Maggie May. Me and Roderick Stewart are singing your praises. Thank you, Abby W W I W. I would love to play a game of Wii with you. Thank you, distinguished listener. My God, you are one of the most distinguished I've ever seen. I love the pocket square. Thank you, Queens of Ireland. You are my literal queen. Thank you, Fun Person 01. You seem like the funnest to me. Thank you, KMRS. Thank you for marrying me and making me a Mrs. Thanks, Alison Brie Larson. I love the acting and the cheese. Thank you, Drea, three eighty five. I adore you all three sixty five days a year. Thank you, S. Shane, one twenty six. I appreciate you, one hundred and twenty seven. Shelby stays fly, dude. I fucking know you do. Thank you, Ask E W L E S. I know that you can answer any question that I have. Thank you, Tuesday Sweeney. You make Tuesdays my favorite day of the week. Thanks, Norio. I adore your beautiful choreo and that is it for the week. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next week.